You're listening to 50% Facts, the show where we're building a health and fitness resource by trying to answer a single question every week, just based on what we already know. Or maybe what we think we know. Then we bring in the world's leading expert to tell us what we got right and what we got wrong. I'm Jim McDonald. And I'm Mike Farr. Welcome to our show. Mandalorian, are you up? Yeah. Four episodes? Yeah. Uh, What I do like... Before we can dig into it. spoilers, probably. So yeah, spoiler alert. But you're already five days past the last episode, so it's yeah. on you now. Um, what I do enjoy is one: the internet is a toxic cesspool, and I hate it. And social media, but there yeah. are some positives. And for the first time, I feel like in my adulthood, maybe my entire life, Star Wars is being shown in a bright light. Because like growing up, I always liked Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I, I would probably watch them for the first time, the original three, when I was in third or fourth grade. So we're talking, I don't know, 1998 maybe? Mm-hmm. I was probably 10, right? Is that third grade, 10-ish? I don't even know. And Ro? Yeah. Oh, oh. Well, what what age is third grade? Yeah. Third grade? Um, 10-ish? Probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So 1998 yeah. or so, uh, my parents showed me those and I enjoyed them. And everybody liked Star Wars, but it wasn't cool, uh, like it, right? Like it was already twenty years old or yeah. whatever, so it wasn't cool. And then the new ones came out, and like me and my friends kind of liked them, but I, I knew the world didn't like uh-huh. them. And then growing up through high school, I enjoyed them even more probably, and mm-hmm. the rest of the world hated them. Then these new ones dropped. I was stoked again because I'm just a Star Wars fan. I take it for what it is. Yeah. And the world's bashing it. And now little baby Yoda comes around, and finally hey, everybody loves it again. Loves it. Yeah. Which is cool with me, as long as it's like in a positive light. I enjoy it. Uh, the show, my negative with the show is that it's only, whatever, like 22 minutes. It's very short. And you just yeah. can't get into it. And I understand because the production value is so high. Like, they're making a movie. Do you understand how they're shooting it? No. Okay. Here's the deal. This is this is completely crazy. I don't understand all the physics of it, but this is, uh, it's adapted from the way that Favreau did Jungle Book and uh, Lion King. Uh and this is sort of the new way to do this kind of integrated production. Yeah. It's cheaper. Essentially, the actors are in a bubble. And the surroundings that they would that normally they would create in CGI through green, through green screen, whatever, yeah. whatever, is projected onto this bubble around them. So the cameras, the way that I don't, I don't completely understand how this works, but the cameras are picking it up, are in real picking time? up in real time. Do the actors them. see it? You think or not? Yes, the actors That's do wild. see it. That's some futuristic shit. Yeah, so it's like almost like a virtual reality kind of thing. That sounds and, really dope. And I was reading an article with uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. She uh, directed the fourth episode, the one with Gina Carano. Yeah, and uh, yeah, they have a different director for each one or something, yeah, right? Which is kind yeah. of a cool idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Favreau is 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 overseeing the yeah. whole thing. Uh, they ask her about the Mandalorian's armor and like reflections of lights and cameras and stuff. Yeah. And she said, oh no, the actual environment is around them. So that is reflected. That, so it's reflected. That's insane. Yeah. That is like some Ready Player One shit. Yeah. That's nuts. And But it, I mean, as much money as they're spending per episode, it's cheaper than it would be sure. if they were doing it so yeah, yeah, way. Yeah, I just mean that it's like eight episodes which is basically like two movies, really, right? Yeah. Uh, four, three, four hours worth. I just almost wish they dropped it all at once, maybe, like a Stranger Things. Yeah, they don't want to do that. Yeah, thing. or, yeah, and I understand business-wise. I get it, I get it, I get it. Or even make two episodes one. Because, like, right, like, each story, you can't, like, really get into a story with it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if it was an hour long, like Game of Thrones, each episode you could kind of dig in and yeah. a lot of information's at yeah. you and, like, meat happens. Like, a lot of meat hasn't happened yet. It kind of, like, yeah. slowly happens. I-, I think that, too, we're at a point where it takes a little while for us to get our attention entirely into something. For sure, for sure. Because you want to bond with it or, like, understand. And, like, even still, like, Baby Yoda, we have this story going on, but there's we don't really know what's happening. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, like, really, there's they haven't told a shit still. Yeah, I- I've been watching... Um, his Dark Materials on HBO, which is adapted from a set of books. And apparently the first half of the first book is all like exposition. It's really dead. Nothing happens. And so the first two or three episodes of that show were like that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and people know. were complaining. It was like, no, 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 that's the setup. Wait till the fourth episode. The yeah. fourth episode is nuts. Yeah, you three know, and four. A bunch of stuff happens. Three and four are really good. Um, 
I started really nerding out because I did get Disney Plus, and I've been watching Clone Wars the cartoon. I haven't watched that. It's good. Uh, like I don't love animated stuff, and it's obviously made for kids. Um, more so, like obviously all Star Wars kind of is yeah, made it's for all hundred percent of yeah. it has a has more kid thing than yeah. adult thing. But yeah. then the cartoon version. But there's a lot of little tie-ins where they don't have like spoilers that you need to know for the movies, but they kind of explain in depth. Yeah, uh, which is really really cool. And then now I even watched all that shit because I'll watch like. Those are only 20 minutes also because they're half an hour on TV. Right. So I'll watch two or three before I go to sleep. And then I'm watching uh, Star Wars Rebels, which is the next one version of that, basically, um, which happens just after Empire Strikes Back, I think. I think it actually Rebels... Crap, I forgot. No, Rebels, I don't know. There's too much Star Wars brain happening. Uh, but it ha- <laughs> I think maybe it happens between um, the end of three. I believe the 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 Jedi's just part of the Jedi. Yeah, after the Return of Jedi. No, no, no. Oh. Uh, three, three. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, so, so all the Jedi's just got killed. Yeah. Darth Vader just took reign. Vengeance of the Sith. Yeah, yeah. So it's happening then, um, which is cool. Gaps, and then obviously now Mandalorian's happening after just uh, Return of the Jedi. So, I, uh, because I also have Disney Plus, uh, was inspired to go back, and because I know that they made. Some little tweaks to um, again, to, again, yeah. to uh, the original trilogy, so four, five, six. Yeah. So I watched all of those, and I watched them in a weird way. Like I, I want to say, like the fifteenth anniversary of Star Wars or whatever. Um, I went to a theater, and they showed four, five, and six back to back to back. Someone's showing all of them in a row. Yeah, that would Cinemax be, or yeah, potentially. There's the big company showing every single one in a row. Really. Yeah, so like twenty-seven hours or something. They said. I, I, well, this was crazy because this was like eight hours and um, uh, nearly eight hours, and there was like intermission between movies. Yeah. But then people come come right back in, and uh, it was the first time I realized how funny the whole thing was when I watched it all back to back to back. Yeah, yeah. So this time, what I did is I like the I watched the first half of of episode four. And then when I came back to it, I watched the second half of four and the first half yeah, of yeah. five. How it ties and then in. I split it up that way. And then when I finished um, six, I just went right into seven. Yeah. And then it did it the same way up through, I think I watched eight all in one sitting. Yeah. And I, I didn't love seven and I really didn't love eight, except that this time. You liked a little more? I liked them more. Yeah. I was I, talking to a shout out to my boy, Bibby. One of my internet friends who I met on Twitch, uh, we game every single day together, uh, and he's a big Star Wars nerd, and he hated them. He said he hated yeah. 7 and 8, or didn't hate them, but disliked them, and then he just rewatched them. Same with 1, 2, and 3, and he's just rewatched them right now. He's like, bro, I really like them. I was like, yeah, bro, you just got to take them for what they are. They're good. Uh, like, yeah, I, I'm editing in my mind out the things that really bug me, sure. and I'm concentrating <laughs> on the things that yeah. work. yeah. And the thing, and like maybe looking for clues as I'm yeah. as I'm watching. Too. That's my favorite part, and that's why I like these cartoons. They kind of clue you in on some shit. Yeah. And uh, even the Mandalorian, um, there's rumors that these TV shows for Avengers and Star Wars will tie into movies more. Yeah, I heard I heard this. This is a rumor. I don't know if this is a Baby Yoda rumor. No, because oh, I got a Baby Yoda theory. Okay. <laughs> What's your baby Yoda theory? So there, we did a bunch of math. We were literally playing Call of Duty because there's new Call of Duty out. And so we're playing Call of Duty for an obnoxious amount of hours. Mm-hmm. Me and my two nerd friends, Bibby and, and my homie Matt. And we're sitting there doing the math of like when baby Yoda was created. Right? Because mm-hmm. they said he's 50 years old. So he's he was supposed to, so supposedly born the same time as Anakin. Maybe, right? Because, yeah, Mandalorian is... is that's, uh, that's what Disney has said. Yeah, five years after Empire Strikes Back. So we're banging out all this math. And so we were wondering if he was made during when the clones were made. Uh-huh. And so we're doing all this, right? Because like it was before that, yeah, it was, sure. it was probably before that. And so then, uh, part of our uh, discovery and part of reading other blogs and theories is that um, the emperor, maybe before he was the emperor, uh, maybe cloned Yoda because he was the most powerful on his own, mm. and then kept him hidden secret. And then somehow this little rascal escaped, escaped. and that's why his bounty is so freaking high. Because then he was thrown back to these stormtroopers randomly, mm. even though stormtroopers aren't a thing really. Yeah, the stormtroopers have to be mercenaries at this point. Yeah, they're right? randos. Yeah, I don't know, and they're not clones. Probably not. Because yeah. my understanding was that the well, they started to train normal humans after the clones started to die in war. Well, and I think too that they they were all clones of a Mandalorian, and, the, and yeah. they Boba. started yeah. and they started Jenga. Uh, um, yeah, Jenga. Uh, I think that they um, uh, they started rediscovering their Mandalorian. 
heritage. Oh, I didn't know that, but I do know that. This is the way. Yeah, yeah, and a bunch of them died <laughs> just because of yeah, war, so I think right. they just started training regular folk as, like, an army, but... um. Yeah, so who knows? That's what I think so far. I, I, think, I think Baby Yoda's a clone. Be a clone. Yeah. Because um, his people, are, they almost said, like, there's not that many more of Yodas. And then even if he was a Yoda species... Uh, whatever wh- whatever that is. Yeah, why would he have so much force? Force power. Oh, just because I probably was born with it. Th- you know is, what I mean? Though? If he's is, a clone, though, yeah. he for sure has that kind yeah. of force power. A thing that they've done, actually, if you watch the... Um, but just watching the re watching the movies like, like I just did, they are definitely in in seven and eight. But to a certain extent, before that, decoupling the Force from the Jedi and and the Sith, because oh. they aren't even using the word Sith in the in yeah. seven and eight. Yeah, 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 it doesn't yeah. even exist. Yeah, yeah. It, and they use it a ton. And there's also another like type that are they 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 use more uh, in the cartoons I'm watching. They say like Force wielder. More mm-hmm. like you're kind of with the force, but you haven't been trained, right? Or, right, and right. So, there's a lot of other things like that, um, where they make it more broad. Where in, in the original three, it's like Jedi and then a bad guy, and mm-hmm. that's the only people that even know about the force. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a super secret society. Where in the cartoons, they make it feel more normal. That, yeah, in the books, are... I know too. I don't read the books, but like gray Jedi's, and there's all this other mm-hmm. realm to it, which. I do wish, and they continue to make more shows about it because I ain't gonna read the books. <laughs> well, the 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 sort of spoilerish thing that I heard was that you remember from one of the trailers, three um, uh, PO has red eyes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the s- the story, the the theory is that because uh, that's out in about two weeks too, the real movie. Yes, he um, uh, was prohibited in his programming from being able to read Sith texts because they're dangerous. And they have to reprogram him to be able to read something because they need a. There's a particular clue, clue that they need out of it, and so the guy and I can't remember what species it is. My my son would uh, wallop me for not remembering his. But the the character the that said uh, I have spoken a bunch of times, played by Nick Nolte, little weird character. Uh, oh yeah, 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 the yeah. one that helps him get to yeah, yeah, to the, Baby Yoda. Yeah, yeah, in the second episode yeah 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 uh that species that either that guy or that species comes and reprograms does the, does the code breaking for make makes it possible for 3po to uh to, to interpret the sith text we'll see anyway yeah two weeks shout out to our boy tate fletcher uh long supporter oh, yeah, of yeah, ours yeah. uh which i didn't know he's also the the mando He's the stuntman for Mando. Oh, he's the stuntman for Mando. So oh, he's in the great. first scene. So, uh, yeah, he gets as, him, as himself. Yeah, uh, and then I think he's the stuntman for Mando. So he is the fucking Mandalorian. How suck is that? That's great. Yeah, that's uh, and then it's um, Pedro Pascal. Yeah, who's the voice? Which I know and, people and, aren't and, so st- and the body a yeah, lot yeah, of the time. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I heard people aren't stoked on that. They don't like the voice connection, but like I, it didn't throw me off. Well, it's very Star Wars, though. Yeah, but they, they everyone's like his voice was too high for. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like there is sometimes you see that in a cartoon or something like that, and you're like, wow, that's weird. That voice doesn't match. But I never got that vibe. Well, he doesn't speak. He speaks pretty normal English as opposed to the way a lot of of yeah. Star Wars characters speak. Yeah, like real... semi proper. Yeah, yeah. No, he's very off the cuff. But like, you get the fact that he was raised by the Mandalorians. He's not. Yeah, he was not. Part of whatever genetic group, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The and Mandalorians, there, yeah, are. and there is like two different groups of them too. That the cartoon goes into more of that, how they kind of split off based on morals or yeah, what they're fighting for. Yeah, nerds, Any, nerds. Anyway, uh, as I was saying earlier, I am um, doing some painting and remodeling in my house. My house is a complete and utter disaster, and <clears throat> it is true in terms of like construction. That you have to pretty much destroy before yeah. you can rebuild, yeah, or at very least make a giant mess, just tear things up. My high school basketball coach said, and this only kind of applies because uh, everyone says uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, he said break that break that thing down and make it better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing, and I, I'm I'm finding all kinds of like mistakes and shortcuts I took. 11 years ago when I did this the last time. Yeah. Like, I found out, oh, there's no baseboard behind the freezer. But that's okay. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Freezer pushes back further without the baseboard. But, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I stuff. forgot I did that. Yeah. I don't understand why they said that. Or, or, 
I was in the same situation I'm in now. Like the, my my wife has scheduled this party at our house for a couple of weeks, and so like I undertook this stuff, and I really have to get it done now sure. in that period of time. Which means at the end you end up, you know, taking shortcuts. And right. part of the reason that there were shortcuts taken last time is that my wife scheduled a party at our house. <laughs> is this uh, maybe secretly on purpose to get shit moving? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. sure it is. That's yeah. that that would be very much her mo. Yeah, it's like, oh, we need it. We have to. We have to have people at our house sometimes. Like, yeah. Because it, it is true. Sometimes those things will just last forever. Because whether you can't find the contract you like or the color you like or yeah, whatever, and then projects just rolling. Or like you just said, like you're redoing the floor and you notice this over here and you start working on that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, things start to roll. Yeah, which is like I, good and bad. And I feel like that's a little human nature. Yeah, when you're yeah. into projects or or whatever it might be, like even lifting weights, like you're like, oh, you know, I can't pull this PR. Like, oh, my stance is this. Oh, my grip is this. And then yeah. you start just eyeballing every little thing, overanalyzing. And how many millions of times have you seen on uh, Instagram somebody says, "Oh, I'm rebuilding my squat or I'm rebuilding yeah, my yeah. deadlift or whatever or whatever." And it's like, well, are you really though? Yeah, and I do mean, you really need to? And do you really need to? Yeah. Do you is is that is that a level of effort you need to go to? Right. Yeah. Like, or do you need to just lift forty percent to refix it? Probably not. Uh. Right. Yeah. And the, uh, a thing that that is true, I'm I'm sure that uh, we can probably get somebody to talk about this at some point, is that after a while you kind of lift the way you lift because yeah. of you know your your own physiology yeah. and your leverages and all that stuff you kind of and it's not always going to be pretty or whatever and rebuilding it towards somebody else's spec is not necessarily this yeah, the, the smartest idea. thing to do yeah it is just so common i think because and i'm the same way like if i do anything i want to do it optimally so like i've talked about uh, i think here on the podcast like i just love getting like deals or like sneaking things in like so if i'm going to buy a tv i'm going to do insane amount of research to find the best mm-hmm. do, you know best bang for my buck and same thing with your lifting like you don't want to run this 12 week program you just bought off kaizentraining.com <laughs> <laughs> and you want to, uh, oh, my deadlift form, I'm not going to get stronger because my deadlift form is bad. I got, I got all my supplements, my food, yeah, yeah. and this program, and then now I'm, you know, my deadlift form. I'm like, man, just pull it. You like, end up tugging away, you'll probably be just fine. For the majority of people, uh, instead of overanalyzing every single thing, breaking it down, I get people in my DMs all the time. Like, Mike, take a look at my deadlift. I'm like, man, that's pretty good. <laughs> like, like there's no, like there's no glaring weakness. If, if there's a glaring weakness, you could probably fix it yourself. Like, you know, when your back's all cat backed, or you know when mm-hmm. like the bar is floating away from you. Like those things, yeah, you need to work on. But even just lifting at that point, you're probably such a beginner; it'll fix it on itself. I remember years ago now we had um, Louis Simmons out, and I asked Louis to to look at my deadlift and he's like yep yeah <laughs> I'm like what like, you don't see it? nope nope yeah. looks just fine to me I yeah. don't see it. that's not the uh, not your limiting factor like strength right. is your limiting factor yeah not your form and if uh, if it is if he was to pick something apart do that have to be like a glaring weakness or he'd have to watch you lift for six months and be like oh Jim you kind of tend to do this maybe we can try that yeah but and not off one go and uh, and knowing um, knowing Louis too uh he would probably tell you to program differently before yeah. he would tell you to lift. Yeah, that's just his method of methodology. Yeah. We're like an old school, more you know, Russian approach. Maybe the opposite. Like get this technique down, and then we'll figure that out. That's just different point of views on how to attack the same animal. Right. And I tend to be a little bit different than Louis personally as a coach. Yeah, and I think most people are. Yeah, nowadays, yeah, yeah. most raw lifters for sure. Yeah, wearing I, gear, it might be a little different. Yeah, and and I think that it's also true that a coach that doesn't look at you all the time is almost always going to tweak with stuff yeah 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 which is like a whole based other on conversation a, s- a small sure. sample of your whatever yeah which is a whole nother conversation of like are they ego coaching are they actually trying to help you because majority of people come in my dms like some of them have coaches like i'm not going to coach you like you know like what if your coach is, has this grandmaster plan to fix mm-hmm. this thing or, or letting you find your own course and here i am nitpicking just to mm-hmm. show off that I, my chops like same thing in basketball coaching was like that all the time like all oh, this kid's Elbows a little flared on his jumper. Like, just shut up. This kid's fucking just fine. In terms of um, like deadlifts, the, the thing that I am most likely to say is that someone's a little too far over the bar when they start to pull. That's yeah, a like, lot of people. That's that's a very common mistake, and and you know, or their upper back is not tight. Yeah, one of those two things, and that's like yeah. most of deadlift. And if they pulled, coaching. if they pulled for another year, they'd probably figure that out on their own. Yeah, yeah, you'll yeah. learn through trial and error somehow. Yeah, well, there's a deadlift is is one of those lists where there's a moment in which if you're in the right position, it feels really yeah clean. Yeah, feels same with really same good. with squat. I've found, uh, and maybe it's just because I suck at benching, but I've just never found anything like man that felt light. Like I've never taken a eighty percent bench and I'm like man that smoked it. Where like deadlift and squat, I have. Yeah, yeah. I like if your grooves right, you just feel kind of powerful. 
So uh, this is by way of uh, segue into our topic. The topic is, do you need to break down muscle in order to build muscle? And this is something that we've always heard, yeah. you know, no pain, no gain, et cetera, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, I think it's led by, you know, and this is maybe just me being biased here, uh, yeah. but it's led by like an IFBB type lifter or coach who are doing, typical that is, because there's multiple now. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of different camps of um, theories and methodologies to get jacked or get strong, but a stereotypical IFBB world or bodybuilding world, you know, maybe early 2000s, uh, you're doing 20 rep sets, right. you're just chasing a pump, um, and I think the majority of people uh, put hand in hand that the pump comes with muscle damage, mm-hmm. um, and then what pathways do we really need, um, and what pathways do we prioritize, uh, muscle building or strength, um, and I think there's a lot of science coming out, maybe uh, I'll reach out to my boy Greg Knuckles, and we'll talk about this same topic for uh, the strength portion, like mm. what what's the number one pathway for us to get stronger? Um, and right now we're trying to analyze, yeah, what the number one pathway is or is muscle fatigue, which I think most people believed is the number one pathway mm-hmm. uh, for muscle gain or hypertrophy. And, you know, a bigger muscle tends to be a stronger muscle. It's not a one-to-one necessarily relationship, but it tends to be true, cross-sectional yeah. area. But some people are very strong without a lot of muscle bulk. That, yeah. That's yeah. just true. Yeah, whether you get in a really good position, uh, the elasticity of your tendons, ligaments, mm-hmm. uh, muscles themselves, plus the power output, how, how well you're neurologically capable of firing those muscles all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the uh, the whole nerdy side of it and, and what is important um, and whatnot. And then tempo stuff, I think just some of that um, has been kind of demythed. And uh, hopefully we'll dig into this conversation. Uh, but like the, the stereotypical bodybuilders doing insane amount of drop sets, doing a bunch of uh-huh. supersets, doing all this stuff where science is caught up. Um, and not that those are bad tools, but they're definitely not necessary tools uh, in order to gain strength or hypertrophy. Like muscle damage is a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully uh, our guest here, who's who's a master's student, uh, will get into more of the science than, than my little college dropout ass can. But um, it's a factor in building muscle. And that's why... Um, Occlusion training works. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sending blood and nutrients to the area with a pump is a factor. But just because you get a pump, like I could do, you know, set of push-ups right now, get a pump, but I'm not going to get the same um, hypertrophy effects as if I was just doing progressive overload uh, with some kind of intensity on a dumbbell press a couple times a week. And, uh, I mean, is a pump really breaking muscle down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, where's and, that definition? And how we how we measuring muscle breakdown? Are we, are we measuring, like, how much... Um, muscle protein you're spilling in your urine. Yeah, I mean, is yeah, it, I don't know. Is it, are we looking at in terms of blood tests? Are we looking in, in terms of, of soreness, right. which doesn't necessarily correlate to right. to muscle damage? I yeah. don't think. Yeah, and the I, same I, I, thing. I'm, I'm I'm on shaky ground there. But. Yeah, same thing with a bunch of studies that come out and measure like uh, muscle activation in an exercise, and like does that really play a factor in the uh, overall hypertrophy or and it might. Uh, more so in the hypertrophy and strength, but people mm-hmm. point to those studies a lot with um, like deadlifts, like, oh, glutes are so much more used and this or that, or they're not so much more used because of this EKG scan. Mm-hmm. Um, but is that really a determining factor on how, what stance you should pull in, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, I do think it plays a little bit more role in what exercises you may or may not choose for hypertrophy. Um, but yeah, just like everything else we've talked about, the the vegetarian diets, et cetera, et cetera, each camp is going to tend to cherry pick their science to make their cause. And then they come out with a book called Muscle Fatigue mm-hmm. to get jacked or something like that. Mm-hmm. And just kind of sell you on a system where the truth is it's kind of a, things are a little bit more basic than people are trying to sell you. Mm-hmm. And again, go refer to our, one of my favorite episodes with Eric Helms when we talk about like how to spot a gimmick. Uh, right. How to spot a guru, um, and I think that can answer a lot of your guys' questions. Yeah, and so much of what we have known is really based on the the breaking muscle down and recovering it. Like the amount of extra protein that you're supposed to intake is is some supposed to somehow be related to that muscle repair or steroids. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's what they say, right? You just that, repair faster, recover. That that term, just in general, like if you just go. The household term, I think, if we go ask, you know, and I always use my mom for reference, even though she's pretty smart in terms of nutrition and stuff, but the average mom, yeah. you say, well, like, well, what are you doing in the gym? I'm like, oh, you're breaking muscle down so you can build it up stronger. And, like, that's such, like, yeah, sure uh, and no. Um, and, yeah, I guess we'll get the nerd answers. Yeah, we'll get the nerd answers. Uh, our, our guest expert this time around is Miguel Blacout, and uh, we will talk to him now. Right after these messages. 
I'd like to put out there that anecdotally or not, I've been preaching about sleep for like since the beginning of this internet career of mine. <laughs> like everyone says, like, what supplement should I take? Bro, just sleep. Just sleep your tail off and yeah. you're going to do better at everything. Because cause everyone's always been asking about supplements and then now all of a sudden you people care. People know they're run down. They know they're stressed and they know mm-hmm. like – you know, this amount of protein or whatever is not going to fix it or these, you know, workout protocol is not going to fix it. If you do biceps Tuesday instead of Wednesday, isn't that big of a deal? Like sleep's going to fix your your brain. It's going to fix you in the gym and for sure fix my mood because I get absolutely grumpy as crap if I don't get slipped. So we awesomely uh, teamed up with Rem Rise, uh, which is an upcoming company, and it's basically a subscription service to allow everyone out there better, deeper, better quality sleep. Um, everyone has different issues. You have, maybe you can't fall asleep. Maybe you don't get deep sleep. Maybe you can't stay asleep. Maybe uh, it's some of the, all of the, I'm above? all of them. Yeah, yeah. I'm all of I them. I can be there too. Um, and so they have a custom quiz. Um, and basically, uh, you go on there, it's super easy, uh, you know, a little questionnaire, and then, uh, they will build a formula, uh, that allows to, uh, sleep a little bit deeper and fix whatever issues, uh, you have going on. I took the quiz, uh, earlier this week, uh, and, and my, my label is power off, which makes a lot of sense because I'm just overthinking. I, I, I definitely have issues falling asleep sometimes, and I definitely have issues staying asleep. Um, overthinking, stress, anxiety, whatever, whatever. Uh, and this is just an all natural, uh, supplement based on Eastern and Western, uh, medicines and herbs, uh, that'll hopefully, uh, we're getting it soon, so we'll give you guys the update. But hopefully, put me out. The um, uh, maybe just hit the bullet points. Yeah, the and then I'll call. I'll finish. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I took the quiz. My um, result was worn out because I I f- don't have too much trouble falling asleep generally, but I wake up and then can't go back to sleep, and then I'm exhausted all day, which um, is no bueno, honestly. Uh, Remrise is a personalized sleep solution that uses natural plant-based formulas to help calm your mind, relax your body, and get your circadian rhythm back on track for a better, more restorative sleep. Your circadian rhythm is the one that your body wants to track to, where you go to sleep at a particular time and you wake up at a particular time and you feel refreshed. It is drug-free, no groggy side effects in the morning. All you have to do is go to remrise.com slash facts and take their free sleep quiz. Uh, I already told you about my results for this for this uh, quiz. And there is an app with Remrise as, as well. It's an awesome digital app that helps you track your sleep progress and even has guided meditation to help you get into the right mindset to go to sleep because that's a big part of it if you think about it. Yeah, it's everything. Yeah, getting a you know controlling your stress, controlling your day, controlling your mind. Uh, hopefully, with these supplements. And again, these supplements um, are going to help you over time. They're not just going to knock you out and pretend you're getting deep sleep. They're really going to uh, help you get a more restful sleep uh, over the long over the long haul. Uh, and if if you guys want to get involved, we've we've got a cool deal for you guys. Your first week's absolutely free uh, for teaming up with us. So you can go to the website, take the quiz today. Remrise, R-E-M-Rise.com slash F-A-C-T-S. Uh, all you have to do is pay shipping. They're going to send you your first week free to totally try it out. Again, just shipping on you. The product's free for a week. Uh, you won't find another offer like this anywhere else. Check it out. You can take the quiz for free right now and get a free week from them. All you have to do is pay shipping at GetRemrise, G-E-T-R-E-M-R-I-S-E.com slash F-A-C-T-S. GetRemrise.com slash facts. Free first week, free trial. Just pay shipping. Check it out. Get better sleep. Get your brain set. Get your recovery right. Go now. You will not find an offer like this anywhere else. Go to GetRemrise.com and get your first week for free. GetRemrise.com slash facts. It's that time of year again, my friends. Time to share smiles, good times with friends and family. And of course, exchange gifts. Happy holidays to everyone out there. Uh, How about get yourself a gift? The gift of self-confidence. How do you get there? By having straighter, brighter teeth with the help of Candid. Candid's aligners can help. Fuck. 
Candid aligners can help straighten your teeth faster and cheaper than traditional wire braces. Treatment takes just six months on average and costs 65% less than traditional braces. An experienced orthodontist who is licensed in your state creates a custom treatment plan. They show you a 3D preview so you can see how your teeth will look after you're done and get really excited about that. Candid aligners are comfortable, removable, and completely invisible. There's no hassle of going to an orthodontist office and sitting around with a bunch of teenagers who are upset because they have they can't kiss because their teeth are Stuck. wrapped around with with barbed wire. Uh, Candid ships your aligners directly to you. Plus, in this season of giving, Candid donates twenty five dollars with each aligner purchase to Smile Train, who brings safe one hundred percent free cleft lip and palate treatment to children around the globe. I know some people who've been in, involved with uh, charities like that. It's really very worthwhile. Give yourself the gift of Candid. Go to candidco.com slash facts. That's candidco.com slash F-A-C-T-S. And use code F-A-C-T-S facts at checkout to get $75 off. That's $75 off your order at candidco.com slash facts. Code facts. Go right now. 75 bucks off. You guys are welcome. Happy holidays. 75 bucks. Candidco.com slash facts. And use the code facts. Do you really have to break down muscle tissue to get muscle growth? Yeah, what's some of the mechanisms here for us to get jacked? Everyone wants to get more jacked. What pathways or mechanisms are we uh, really looking at? And is is muscle fatigue a, a huge leading factor, secondary factor, or do we just not give a crap? Right. So in 2012, Twelve, I think Brad Schoenfeld was really the first one to kind of take all these things that we consider to be important for muscle. Shout out to Brad. Really, really, shout, always shout out to Brad. Pretty much anything in the field is done by Brad. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he, he kind of took all the knowledge and, and, and really concise, the really nice model for muscle hypertrophy, saying that muscle hypertrophy is, is predominantly led by three primary drivers, those being mechanical tension, uh, metabolic stress, and muscle damage. Mechanical tension, quite literally being the, the tension that you put, put upon your muscle fibers when you train. Um, so you recruit muscle fibers, you take them through their through, through their uh, ranges of motion, through their functions, and you place tension on them. Um, metabolic stress being an accumulation of metabolic byproducts in the muscle. So when you work out, you get an accumulation of inorganic phosphate, lactate, creatine, um, and, and a lack of oxygen, and those seem to put your muscle kind of under stress. Um, so it's proposed that putting your muscles under stress can cause them to actually kind of have like a response where they secrete anabolic signaling because, well, the muscle cells don't want to die. Um, and then muscle damage, which this is kind of the one that I think most people ended up gravitating towards. And this is the one that everyone has been told as soon as you stepped into the gym is, hey, the way that you build muscle is by causing these little micro tears in the muscle. And then um, the muscle just builds back stronger. And then there you go. You get growth. So for some reason, I don't know why people didn't quite talk as much about metabolic stress and, and mechanical tension. Really, the argument was, well, it's, it, it's the micro tears and in, in, in the fibers that cause muscle growth. Um, so we kind of have to look at what, what being a primary driver of hypertrophy would mean. So if muscle damage was a primary driver of muscle hypertrophy. And if all these things are primary drivers of muscle hypertrophy, that would mean that muscle damage should be able to cause muscle hypertrophy on its own. Because we know that mechanical tension can, can cause uh, uh, muscle growth on its own. But if we if were to take, for example, a look at literature done on people who run down hills, if we were to take, I don't know, Mike, like you, you played basketball, I'm sure you had to do like suicide sprints, like up and down hills and whatnot. Way too when you many. run down a hill, yeah. <laughs> When, when you run down a hill, you cause a whole bunch of muscle damage. But if we were to kind of evaluate if any growth happened, no, really no growth happens at all. In things like marathon running, we get a whole bunch of muscle damage, but no muscle hypertrophy. So if muscle damage is a primary driver of muscle hypertrophy, we should see some growth there, but we don't. Um, and then in other situations in which we can, for example, take take away or take away the damage and only cause tension, we see the same hypertrophy as if we were to have tension plus damage. So for example, um, in blood flow restriction training, blood flow restriction training causes a whole bunch of mechanical tension. You accumulate a whole bunch of volume 
But a really, really nice review by Jeremy Lindekey in 2014 showed that it really causes no muscle damage. If muscle damage was a primary driver of hypertrophy, we should expect that the damage plus tension would lead to more growth and tension alone, but it doesn't. So that kind of caused a whole bunch of people to question, well, does, does, does damage really cause muscle hypertrophy? Um, and, and more and more of the evidence is showing that no, not really. A, a seminal paper in all of this was a one done by uh, Damas in 2016, and this is one of my favorite papers of all time. Essentially what they did is they took people through a 10-week study, and they measured muscle hypertrophy, um, they measured protein synthesis, and they measured muscle damage at three times during a 10-week protocol. Uh, they measured this at one week, at three weeks, and at 10 weeks. So at one week, they felt the muscle protein synthesis response peaked, uh, and so did the damage response. But there was no muscle hypertrophy. They, they looked at the muscle fibers cross-sectional area, and they saw that there was no hypertrophy whatsoever. It did not increase from baseline. They're like, okay, well, this is weird because protein synthesis is super, super high. Um, then at week three, both damage and protein synthesis were still really elevated. They were lower than, than, than week one. But there were no muscle hypertrophy. So I was like, what the hell? Like, we're seeing all this protein synthesis, but still no growth at all. Uh, and then at week 10, they saw the protein synthesis was elevated. It was much lower than at week one and week three. Still elevated, but much lower. And damage had gone away. And it was only at this point that the researchers actually saw uh, a muscle hypertrophy. So this kind of ca causes us to question, well, first of all, does damage actually cause hypertrophy? And second of all, does does damage kind of attenuate hypertrophy? Is, is damage actually kind of a little bit bad for hypertrophy? Um, and, and then we kind of start to get into, into this area where, well, it, it seems to be not only from, from blocking muscle protein synthesis because the damage response can just kind of, um, can just kind of block protein synthesis and, and the hypertrophic effect of that, but doing protocols that are too damaging can also cause us to be way too fatigued and not be able to accumulate as much training volume across time. Uh, if that makes sense to you two gentlemen, if you have any follow-up questions about that. Uh, how are they measuring um, damage? So damage is measured by something called a creatine kinase. Uh, that is something that kind of exists uh, outside of the muscle cells. If you cause a whole bunch of damage, like if you, if you tear your, your muscle fibers, creatine kinase can come in and, and cause, and, and then we can measure that from the muscle cell, be like, okay, well, all this creatine kinase shouldn't be here. Uh, so it's just kind of an indirect marker of it. Uh, to directly measure muscle damage, you kind of have to take a whole bunch of imaging that really nobody does. <laughs> so are they looking at it in, like, are you spilling it into urine or is it a blood test or... Sorry, you, you cut out for a second. Uh, are they? Is it spilling into your urine, or is it a is it a blood test? How are they? How are they assessing it? it, it it's a blood test. We we can take uh, blood blood samples from the muscle and see if there is if there is more creatine kinase that should be there. There's always going to be a little bit because no matter what you do, um, you are you're still going to cause damage, and that's that, that's kind of an important point. Is that a lot of people kind of say, okay, well, is damage needed for for muscle growth? And it's like probably not. So then all these people try to avoid damage, and it's something that just can't be avoided. It's kind of, uh, you know, sure, we, we probably shouldn't go pursuing damage, but we also can't avoid it. So, But yeah, to answer your question, we, we measured from taking uh, blood samples from, from the muscle. So what you're telling me is Brad was wrong. Brad? This is the thing I love about Brad. When people started to question, to question Brad, he actually published the paper himself in 2018 to be like, well, I'm not entirely sure if muscle damage leads to muscle growth anymore. All these researchers just kind of started to point their fingers at Brad and be like, hey, Brad, you might be wrong. And at, at first, there was, a, there was a little bit of a fight back there. I was like, well, probably not. And then like more and more research started coming out. People started to make uh, good arguments. And Brad himself was like, shit. Yeah. Yeah, it just seems like um, from what you explained and even my past knowledge, and I, I think I've read a little bit of uh, some of at least the reviews of Brad's paper, that um, tension is going to happen regardless of any movement we're going to have, right? So that's going to be there. Um, the metabolic part may happen depending on how hard you train or, you know, if you're strength training. And that uh, muscle damage, again, is just like uh, along for the ride in a way. Like, how are you going to avoid it? Um, so it makes sense that if you study it or depending on how you're studying it, that it's there uh, when hypertrophy is there. But it, it being necessary is a whole other conversation, I guess, that we're digging into right now. It seems like that another uh, aspect of that particular study is that um, when, you're, when you're measuring in the first couple of weeks, you're not seeing very much 
you know, positive change. And it isn't until it's like, would you say 10, 12 weeks study, something like that? Yeah. Until 10 weeks. Yeah. Till 10 weeks. Like, so that by itself, um, to me just, it means that people, uh, I think people run out of patience quickly for, (laughs) for whatever (laughs) they're doing. And it's like, it is, it is the persistence that makes the difference, maybe more than anything else. It's just per- persistence and consistency. Yeah, especially if you're comparing uh, hypertrophy to per- uh, perhaps strength progress. Like strength yeah. progress will be able to happen way quicker. Yeah. You, you see a bunch of people hitting 5, 10, 15 pound PRs week by week, especially if they're a beginner uh, compared to, it took me five years to look in the mirror and be like, oh, maybe I gained some muscle. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I, I'm starting to feel happy about myself in yeah. some way, shape, or form well, that's half, significant. <laughs> half a decade. <laughs> So Right. So I, I like the point that you guys make about the consistency because specific to, to muscle damage, um, as you start to train more and more, you start to develop something called the repeat of thought effect to a movement. Essentially, when you first start to do a movement, it, it is incredibly damaging. And, and especially if it's the eccentric portion of the movement that is damage, damaging. Um, I'm sure that a lot of listeners here are, are familiar with the sliding filament theory, but essentially like when the, the way that, that you make, uh, that, that you contract your muscles is, is that actin and myosin heads uh, kind of link together in contraction and then they, they, they link apart wh- when they want to, well, not contract anymore. Um, and, and this seems to be especially important to damage because if you kind of think about almost like a Velcro works, when you attach Velcro, it's very smooth, right? And it's like the ripping apart of the Velcro that's just kind of like you hear this loud noise. It feels like you're tearing something. That's essentially how muscle damage works. Um, so, And this especially occurs when you're first starting to introduce a movement. So when you, you start a movement and you get super, super sore. You're causing this huge damage response. You're not really seeing a whole bunch of growth, just getting super sore. And that's when people can give up. But if you just stick it out, that is when you're going to get growth. And I think this conversation is especially important because we see so many people just chasing soreness. And it's like the soreness is indicative of damage, and that's not really all that great for you. Yeah, and especially depending on sports, right? We're talking about hypertrophy, which can apply to many sports. Obviously, it's relevant, but um, most importantly to like bodybuilding. But when you're talking about muscle damage and different um, methods to use in training, uh, way more particular when you're talking about a basketball player, a football player, uh, even a power lifter where performance is more important, where we might want to avoid muscle damage in a lot of cases if we're prepping for a meet or we're prepping mm-hmm. for a Sunday football game um, or, or basketball pl- players who majority train, their seasons are so long, they're training all freaking week. Um, why are we trying to get them sore when they have to go and play 90 minutes of basketball or 40 minutes of basketball later. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fantastic point, especially you guys being more powerlifting based and, you know, some people who do like Olympic weightlifting, heading into something like that with a whole bunch of, of damage. Uh, well, not, not only is it going to slow down your movement speed, um, it can also reduce your range of motion. And there is a, a study, an interesting study done by Faria et al., where they actually took a bunch of people and they made them do uh, eight sets of, of chest to failure. And they kind of observed when people would be able to return, uh, get their strength back, and when people would be able to get uh, a total workload uh, back. Um, and it took them 96 hours to be able to match their strength again compared to baseline. And they didn't even, they weren't even able to match a, a volume after 96 hours. So if you do something that's like super, super damaging, it can be that like you won't even be able to get anywhere near, near the same strength or near the same volume for like four days. And that's just seriously concerning if, if you're um, interested in both strength or performance or, or even bodybuilding. Yeah, because then you could just spread out that volume. Uh, raise yeah. the frequency a little bit and keep performance a little bit higher. Yeah, which is obviously what's a lot more popular over the last ten years in terms of strength training or bodybuilding. Um, a little bit more higher frequency and spreading that volume out rather than you know quote unquote bro split where you're just crushing a bicep on a Monday with every exercise ever known to man and then not doing it for another eight days. Eight days, yeah, exactly. I think too that uh, it, it's worth pointing out that there are certain uh, sports that are just kind of all about muscle damage, like a, any kind of endurance. sport Sport, you you got to be doing a, a fair amount of muscle damage. CrossFit, CrossFit. Because um, uh, uh, where's this tie into like uh, rhabdo myalysis? And I know that's a little bit of like a stereotype that everyone's like, oh, you do CrossFit and you're going to get rhabdo, but uh, the potential <laughs> is there, and that's muscle damage breakdown, correct? Yeah, because then yeah, it just the potential is there. Oh yeah, because essentially what they're doing is they're never allowing their body to get the repeat about effect, like. You know, I've done a fair bit of powerlifting. You guys are powerlifters. Like we do, we've been doing squats since like 1990s. You know, it's just like we're, that. That's not gonna 
get much repeat about effect. I mean, that's not going to get much, much muscle damage at this point, like unless you stop doing it, but they're doing something new, like every single day they're walking into, into the gym. They don't know what they're doing. They might do something that's completely outside of their comfort zone or anything they're comfortable with. So they just keep doing this over and over and over again and mix that with like super high training volumes. And sometimes they just have like not very good diets for recovery and you get a rab though. Uh, it also would seem like ultra marathoners and stuff would have gigantic muscles if it was just all about muscle damage, right? Yeah, and that's one of the big uh, arguments against it. The way that it has been argued, to be completely fair, is that uh, proponents of muscle damage will say, well, no, muscle damage is a, is a primary driver, and the way that we argue against that is that uh, marathon running is so catabolic that they're actually not allowing the, the, the anabolic response of the, of the muscle damage to, to occur. But then we do things like downhill sprinting where, where you know, it's not as catabolic. Um, it's not lasting like six hours and you still see no muscle hypertrophy from mm -hmm. that. Right. Or, or basketball or tennis or, you know, a lot of those are, are long-limbed humans mm -hmm. uh, that aren't necessarily the epitome of hypertrophy and their bouts are much, much less than a, a marathon runner. And it's also, it's, it's pulsed off and on too. I mean. Right. Yeah, you'd you think it would be primed for some yeah. leg gains, but... Even with basketball, you're not running all the time because you're not in all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, sprint, jog, stand. Yeah, exactly. Or soccer, whatever it might be. Yeah. So um, other than we were talking about, about consistency, um, what else can we take away from this particular um, piece of research? I think the most important thing to take away from this is the fact that you shouldn't necessarily be chasing soreness. Soreness can't necessarily be avoided. But a lot of people, and you guys probably get this all the time, will say, hey, I don't know if my workout is, is working anymore right. because I'm no longer getting, getting sore. Or they'll like switch everything up in order to get like muscle confusion or, or whatever the, the, the case is. And um, what this piece of, of research shows us is that probably the best way to get gains is to stick, is to stick with the movement until we develop both the technical proficiency and the physiological adaptations to that movement to get the most out of it. So don't stop your workout because you aren't getting sore anymore. That is likely the time when you are getting the most out of the workout because not only have you developed the neuromuscular adaptations that will allow you to get the most out of those exercises, but you will also have attenuated the damage in peak protein synthesis and will actually get the most out of the, the movement from, from that side. Um, I think that this whole thing about muscle confusion or trying to trying to get sore all the time just has kind of people running around in a circle. Like they're trying to do the right thing because, you know, soreness kind of feels good. But really, you're just kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Soreness feels virtuous. I always say that, uh, and I think that it's true. People, like, that's it's kind of a badge of honor. It's like, oh, I'm really sore. Like, it's leg day. I can't walk to my car or whatever, you know. And there's a million, million memes around uh, not being able to walk after a leg day or Yeah, or yeah it's so weird and it's still popular. Yeah, yeah. Like crawling out of the freaking leg day. Anecdotally, I've said this for a long time just by my little dumb brain college dropout, but like everyone <laughs> asked to get sore and, and it's sadly very popular on social media now with these workouts that are just 100 reps of burpees followed by 100 mm -hmm. plyo jumps and whatever else and, and all these people are getting very popular doing it because they, they, and I agree, they look very good while they're doing it, but... Uh, <laughs> If you want me to get you sore, you just do something you haven't done in a while. Like, yeah. it's really easy to get sore. Yeah. Um, and if that is the case, yeah, muscle confusion. It, it would be much easier if this was the truth. If muscle <sighs> confusion, I just do a different exercise every single day right. randomly with a random load and random yeah. progress, and I get absolutely jacked and strong. But uh, sadly, that's not how. Yeah, you just put conjugate on a on a wheel of fortune and just <laughs> yeah. turn it every time. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and there is some, you know, truth to, 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 to exercise variation when you've plateaued on, on, on a very strict, very, very strict lift or too specific of a lift. Allowing yourself to progress in something, you know, slightly different. There, There's definitely some tools there to get stronger, avoid injury, obviously, by variation. But just randomly throwing exercises at a wall until it sticks and making that your workout probably isn't your best progress for any uh, goal, whether it's hypertrophy, strength, or strength conditioning, or powerlifting, sadly. Absolutely. And just from, if, if we accept that mechanical tension is the primary driver of hypertrophy, and we say, okay, well, what's the, what's the best way to judge that? It's going to be training volume. But if yeah. you're just like changing up the exercises every now and then, like let's say, for example, you are changing up your, your chest pressing and you're going from bench press to a dumbbell press 
to a machine press week to week to week, how do you know you're actually in, increasing your strength? How do you know you're actually gaining training volume? You don't really. So not only is, is, it, is it harmful to you in the fact that you might be inducing way, way more damage than you need to, it just becomes impossible to track. Like you never know if you're actually improving. Yeah, there has to be a, a kind of a test retest at some point to be able to tell whether you're getting stronger. Yeah, your programming and your workouts and things are like a mini science experiment. You have to control some variables to allow to be able to track the progress. And yeah. if not, you're screwed. For well, sure. you're not screwed. You can still make progress. Yeah. And because the, there's going to be someone in the comments, well, I change my workout every time. Yeah, bro, you can get jacked that yeah. way. Is and it optimal or is it even close to optimal? Probably not. But <laughs> yeah, you can do anything and get jacked. Like I did that for three years and got pretty strong. But And your point earlier was that like at the beginning, kind of everything works. Yeah. And so people get confused about what works because everything works. Yeah, because yeah. there's uh, probably over 100,000 people that don't touch their, their bench to their chest and are super jacked. Well, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no one cares. Yeah. This person lifts with a belt. This person lifts without a belt. This person has gloves or not gloves. Yeah. Or they they use the pad on the bar or whatever, and they still got jacked. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, never done a squat in his life, and he has great quads. Right. Who, who cares? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so j j just just as, as an aside, how did you get interested in all this stuff? I got interested very, very early on when I kind of started to read at the, at, at the literature and, like, uh, in marathon running and in downhill running and then some rat studies that were being done and also with the blood flow restriction training, I was like, well, hold on. If muscle damage is so important, like, why aren't these things causing growth? And then this was back in maybe like 2013, 2012. Um, and since then, I remember that it was like myself, Menno Henselmans and Chris Beardsley that were just kind of skeptical about it. And no one was really kind of buying what we were selling. Um, and, and then just as more and more research started coming out, it just kind of I don't know. In science, it's, it becomes really interesting when you have a hypothesis that you kind of are, are passionate about and no one really believes in. And then you really, really start to keep up with it because you want to be right. And then when more and more evidence starts coming out, like it just kind of uh, confirms what you say. I mean, like if as a scientist, if, if the research came out and was like, no, like somehow damage is, is definitely needed for hypertrophy. Like, well, damn it, I was wrong. But then like more and more stuff coming out, started coming out. And like, I just kind of wanted to keep reading on it because I wanted to be right. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that's <laughs> so all of Brad us, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then I was actually in the middle of writing a paper, very like a like, kind of like a, a a review article, kind of similar to Brad's when he wrote his. And then I was like, when he released his, I was like, "Fuck!" Well, I now can no longer claim that I'm the one that kind of came up with this argument. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's science for you. I yeah, I think that we've uh, uh, we've informed people as much as they're going to be able to absorb within the course of one episode. Uh, tell us where, or tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah, so first of all, thank you guys very much for having me on. You can find me on Instagram at mblacut, that is M-B-L-A-C-U-T-T. -T. Um, I have a website, miguelblacut.com, and if you are interested in some coaching, you can find me at uh, revivestronger.com. Awesome, thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks uh, uh, for taking the time to chat with us. Um, if you guys want to follow me, Sound the mic, 2Ks, Instagram, Twitter, follow the show, 50% Facts, Instagram. Uh, give us a Twitter. rating and review. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, tell me you love me. Tell your mom to listen to the show, your girlfriend, your sister, your boyfriend, your best friend, your husband. Uh, we appreciate you. Hope you're uh, staying safe during these traveling holidays. I am at the Jim McD on all the social medias, and we will talk to you next week.